We are called to live faithfully for Jesus 168 hours a week. Welcome to the Faith 168 Podcast with Brandon and Chris. Welcome to the Faith 168 Podcast. I'm here again with some wonderful people today uh, as we are starting into a new series looking at the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter two. And today we have a special guest joining us. Of course, we always have Brandon here, and I'm glad to record another episode with my brother Brandon. But we also have another brother in Christ that's joining us for this episode. And it is the youth pastor of the church where I'm pastor at, First Baptist Church. And so I want to welcome Phoenix on to the Faith 168 podcast today. So Phoenix, Go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, my name is Phoenix, of course, as you introduced me. And um, like you said, I work with uh, Brother Chris at the church where he's pastor. And um, I'm a recent graduate of a Bible college in Southeast Kentucky. And God has just been blessing me quite a lot. And I've seen his provision miraculously in my life. I'm a relatively young Christian of about four years, but God has blessed me and grown me and I still got a lot to learn and a lot to grow about, but I'm confident in the call he's placed on my life. So, and I'm happy to be here uh, with you this evening. All right. Well, that's great. We're glad to have you here on the Faith 168 podcast, Brother Phoenix. And as I said, we're going into Revelations chapter two. Ooh, I said Revelation. Revelation chapter yeah. two. There you go. Not revelations. <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah. Yeah. One big revelation. Revelation chapter two, we're going to look at the seven letters to the seven churches. And Brother Brandon, do you want to go ahead and kind of just give us an overview of this new series that we're going through? I will. I'll be happy to. So the book of Revelation can be kind of scary, and Mm. that's an understatement. It's got a lot of crazy metaphors, imagery, and symbols, but it starts out very practical, very down-to-earth, nitty-gritty, rubber-meets-the-road type stuff. Right. And that's what we find in the opening chapters of Revelation, Revelation chapters 2 through 3, where Jesus speaks to real historical churches that existed during uh, the first century or so in this area of Asia Minor, which y'all might have to correct my geography here, but maybe that's modern day Turkey. Mm -hmm. Um, That's right. Right. There were real Christians in these real churches. And basically Jesus, he's been observing these churches for some time. And he writes these letters to them or actually inspires John to write these letters to send to them to encourage them in what they're doing right but to correct them in what they're doing wrong. Jesus essentially is kind of like a health inspector, you know, in these, in these two chapters. He's going around seeing what these churches are doing, marking them off for some things, but, mm-hmm. you know, giving them green checks for the things they're doing right. right. And it's interesting here, most of these churches that he addresses in this passage are in the wrong. Right. You know, they've got a lot of errors and a lot of things that they need to correct. But there's a few. I think it's just uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia where he only has positive things to say. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get into these letters. They're so practical. They sort of teach us what Jesus wants his church to look like, what he wants his church to be. 
And what we have to do when we go through these letters is to see if the shoe fits. You know, we got to look right. at these churches and, and ask ourselves, okay, would Jesus say this about our church? Right. Would Jesus say this about me? And yeah. if so, there may be some things we need to correct. There may be some things we need to cease doing and some things we need to start doing. Yeah. And, well, the and fir- go ahead, another buddy. thing, too, when we, when we look at it, as you were saying, you know, look at these letters and, and think about yourself and think about the church. Uh, that's almost a, a great way to look at the seven letters that we're going to go through now is look at it first as can you find these problems or even these successes in your life? But then you can look at it as your local church as well, the local church that you serve in. Is that what your local church is going through? Are they doing that or are they not doing that? And then we can even look at the church as a whole, the, the church all around the world, the body of believers. Is this what the church is doing in the world today? So there's three three good ways of looking at these letters. Correct. That's a really good observation. And the first church, uh, I kind of call this first one, the loveless church, you know, right. the church in Ephesus mm-hmm. where Jesus talks to them in, in, uh, almost said Ephesians, um, in revelation chapter two, verses one through seven, that seems to be the main problem that they were experiencing mm-hmm. here. They had some good things though, had some things that Jesus commends, but he, primarily condemns the fact that they abandoned the love they had at first, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. But it begins by saying, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Mm-hmm. Now, I had said earlier, this is a pretty easy-to-understand section, but the first three <laughs> words kind of throw us for a loop, don't they? Right. To the angel of the church. What do you think that's talking about, fellas? Well, when we when we think of the angel of the church, there's two two possibilities that people talk about, of course. Uh, one possibility that's largely accepted, one possibility that's sometimes underestimated and overlooked. Uh, the possibility, I think, that we're looking at is this is a, a letter that's being sent to a church to be read. And, and simply the term angel is the term messenger and not every messenger is an angelic heavenly being but i think this is just some letters written out to the pastors the leaders the elders of these churches to Mm. be a messenger and speak out the word of god to them yeah I, i would agree with you there on that as well um there are a lot of interpretations which would um, outright say this is a spirit who is a protector of the mm-hmm. uh, church in Ephesus. But uh, if you're going to be faithful to the the original text there in the Greek, yeah, the angelos literally yep. means messenger, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be you. You could say it could be the pastor, the uh, or, or one of the deacons, or it could be what we might think of as secret of as of as as a secretary, right? Uh, yeah, and today. <laughs> uh, getting tripped up over my words there. Oh, no, you're <laughs> yeah. good. That's well, interesting. It, I never thought about it being possibly a secretary, but that's that is right. possible. Well, I mean, a messenger in general, it didn't have to be a a specific. I mean, usually your leaders, your pastor, would mm-hmm. be the one that would 
be reading things, but think about like handing a letter over to an angel. Like what's, what's the mailing address for the, the <laughs> angels? <laughs> right, you know, yeah. uh, but Hey, here's a letter to an angel that already knows everything that's going on that has been watching over these people and, and, and protecting them and then things like that. And so, uh, the letter is not really useful for an angelic being, a, yeah. a heavenly being. Mm-hmm. It, it's meant for the church, and you need to give it to someone that is leading in the church yeah. or active in the church. And uh, kind of another thought relative to that, could you imagine being uh, in the spot that the people of the Church of Ephesus were in? I mean, think about none of them. Well, they were all like us in the fact that they had never seen Christ. They had only had the message that the apostles brought with them. Mm-hmm. Right. And in that regard to, to receive a letter from directly from Christ mm-hmm. telling you, Hey, you're doing this right. And you're doing this wrong. I can't imagine uh, yeah. the reaction that the church would have had for that. Mm. Um, I can imagine that some would probably not believe it, but mm-hmm. the ones who do, I'm like, oh boy, the Lord himself is coming against us. We yeah. got to yeah. get tip top shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's a really good observation, Phoenix, because that's how these letters start. You know, we can get caught up on what the angel means, but really what matters is all of these letters come from Jesus. And he makes that clear mm-hmm. in the introductions, like in verse one, it says the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, yeah. who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And mm-hmm. uh, of course, all these introductions from Christ refer back to the way he introduced himself in chapter one. So, you know, there's no mistake that it's a personal letter from Jesus, which right. like you highlighted Phoenix, that can be something that produces a little bit of trembling, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. But it says that he holds seven stars in his right hand. And if you look back at revelation one, you'll see that that is referring to these angels, these pastoral messengers of the seven churches. So that's not really a mystery there. And here's another thing that's significant it says that he walks among the seven golden lampstands. And to understand what that means, we also just need to flip back like one verse to Revelation 120, Mm -hmm. where it says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Mm -hmm. And that's a really powerful image, isn't it? you got this picture of Jesus walking among the churches, these shining lights with his eye keenly aware of what's going on in his churches. Yeah. He's, he's there for his church. He's there for his bride. And and also we should see with that lampstand, what you said, that, that bright, that, that bright and shining light, that's what we're supposed to be in this world. Right. A lampstand. We're supposed to be a light shining brightly in the darkness all around us because it's, and it's not our light that's really shining, but Christ through us. And so I think there's a lot of good imagery there. Uh, for an understanding of who we are supposed to be here in this world. Yeah. And going off of that and talking about the seven stars, those seven stars are the angels. And if we're talking about them in the regard of thinking of them as the uh, pastoral type leaders that we would think of today, uh, 
imagine the comfort it would be for each of the leaders of these churches, mm. regardless of whether or not they're just being completely doled off or if they're being completely built up, you still have the comfort of knowing that Jesus is holding you in his hand. Yeah. Right. And are you going to break out of the hand of God? And is anyone going to break into the hand of God? No. Mm. Um, I think another thing that might be important when looking at this letter, though, is also understanding the city of Ephesus as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, in Asia Minor, Ephesus was one of the most important of the seven cities that are mentioned mm-hmm. here. And um, we're looking at the people who lived there. Uh, it was a great trade hub and all of this. It was also right. a really uh, important center for pagan religions as well. Uh, there was a chief cult uh, to Artemis, a uh, great yeah. god. Mm-hmm. and or, this, or also known as Diana as well, some people yeah. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... We also find that, uh, you know, Paul, of course, he spent two years in Ephesus with mm-hmm. building up the church and mm-hmm. uh, God gave him that ministry. And uh, eventually John, the apostle, lived there in his old age. And Timothy uh, was there in Ephesus for a time as well. I've heard a lot of traditions say that Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, mm-hmm. um, though I would need to look back at my sources for that. But uh, we're finding a lot of rich biblical history Mm -hmm. and especially of the early church starting in Ephesus. And if, you know, John is the one who's received this revelation from Christ, it's, I think it's very interesting that he's the the first one that's being written to is being written to Ephesus where John may have been at the time of writing. Uh, He may have been on Patmos at that time Mm -hmm. as well. That's a debate on dating, but I don't think that's the debate we're having today. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I could argue about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I like too, like what we see here at the very beginning, you know, first we have a great introduction, an introduction that, that leaves no room for doubt who this letter is from. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jesus starts off with, with a list of accomplishments. And, and what were yeah, those accomplishments? Sure. Brother Brandon? Well, he says generally in verse 2, what he says to a lot of these churches, I know your works, mm-hmm. which can be good or bad. Right. Point being, he knows what I his know what you did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or I know what you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. An alternative. Right. Um, but yeah, Christ knows what's going on in the church. Um, and again, that's drawn from the imagery earlier. He walks among the lampstands. He has an eye for what's happening, but mm-hmm. he commends the Ephesian church here for, really three things. They were a serving church. They were a Mm -hmm. sanctified church and a steadfast church. Right. He first says they were a serving church. He says, I know your toil and your patient endurance. Mm -hmm. They were, they're working pretty hard in the ministry. You know, Christ says they were uh, toiling, which means to work pretty hard, you know, uh, work hard and incessantly Mm -hmm. producing a lot of what you might call holy sweat. And, you know, as Phoenix noted, they lived in a godless culture, a godless society, and that kind of put a lot of their toil and endurance to the test, I'm sure, right. because I'm, I'm think it's safe to assume that there were times they were tempted to compromise and give up, to, you know, to shut up, to back up. But Jesus says, you know what? This is one thing you've you got an A plus on. You have mm-hmm. toiled and you have endured patiently. Mm-hmm. There. Oh, go ahead, man. Oh, yeah. And just think of Ephesus, too, as we were talking about the, the paganism that was going on there. The, mm-hmm. the, the large, 
worship of Artemis, which, uh, you know, also known as Diana as well, yeah. uh, a fertility goddess, uh, the mm-hmm. sexual immorality that was rampant mm-hmm. in, in Ephesus was outstanding. Uh, I mean, they almost, we're almost kind of like that right here in, in the United States today yeah. uh, with, you know, all the different things that we see on television, the mm-hmm. access to to uh, explicit material that mm-hmm. not only adults can get to, but kids can get to as well. And, and yeah. it's almost like we worship a, a goddess of, of sexual immorality in the United mm-hmm. States today. And, and how much trouble does the church have with that uh, today? Just as individuals, as Christians, uh, you know, we, we talk about this, uh, Brother Phoenix and and Brother Brandon both go to the same camp every year uh, where, where we lead these students at Hillcrest Baptist Camp. And we we talk to them about some of the struggles that they're going through. And uh, it's struggles that even adults are going through. But mm-hmm. looking at explicit material on their phones and on their, their TVs and how, how much, you know, they're really taken to that and it's shoved down in their faces at, at every corner, everywhere they turn uh, to a point where, where, you know, maybe the epidemic that's happening in our culture today is, is, you know, worshiping a God of sexual immorality. Yeah. So. I, I yeah. It all we, goes back to worship, you know, right. And mm-hmm. we'll find something to worship. It might not be God, but we'll find something to give ourselves over to. And unfortunately we, see kind of a mirror of our own culture from Ephesus, as you noted. Right. Yeah. And um, I find, you know, with what they're withstanding in their pagan culture and what we have to go through today, um, this word uh, that's used here in the ESV uh, talking about patient endurance, uh, that's uh, the word hippomone, which you know, refers to literally steadfastness, but it has this connotation where you're waiting expectantly. Mm. Um, You are denoting an inward feeling and an outward conduct that's directed only towards a sort of, um, I guess it it would be an aggressive waiting, I suppose, Mm -hmm. uh, if we could uh, word it that way. I'm going to wait in my, I'm going to work and in my work, I am waiting on perhaps we could think about it like this and for the master work to return. Because if they're waiting expectantly, what are they expecting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's a good observation as well. And that's not the only thing, of course, that Jesus commends them for. He says, secondly, they were a sanctified church. And he says, I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have mm-hmm. tested those who mm-hmm. call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. And later he says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So they endured in ministry, but one thing they couldn't endure was evil men, mm-hmm. and namely false apostles. Yeah, They yeah. were patient when it came to serving, but not when it came to sinning. So, well, see, and, and if we look at that on an individual level, I think I think the three of us, we can say, that as we have our discussions and we talk, uh, you know, outside of this podcast, that for the most part, we can look at false teachers and say, you know what, mm-hmm. we're not going to bear with false teachers. So maybe as an individual, uh, this is an easier thing to say, hey, I have that in common with the Church of Ephesus. 
But what what happens when we apply that to the local church or to the global church? Uh, I think it gets a little more difficult because you, you see, uh, you know, a lot of very uh, outgoing uh, personalities that that call themselves pastors or elders or bishops mm-hmm. or. <clears throat> popes and uh or, <laughs> so you know things like that uh but that that people are like oh man what they're saying is so good and they 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 interact on a very emotional level but they don't interact on a, a spiritual level or when they do it's it's a very demonic spiritual level uh, you mm-hmm. know doctrines of demons as we talked about in the book mm-hmm. of james and i i think that's something that as a local church and a global church, we need to be more worried about that we're not matching up to Ephesus in this, hey, that a boy from Jesus. Uh, and so that's that's important to think about because as an individual, it's your job to call out false doctrine and false teachers mm-hmm. so that the rest of the body doesn't fall for these schemes. I, I think of you know many different people that have, have politicized uh, the ministry in in different ways I, I could go on for a couple names but i i don't know if i'd get sued or not for saying them so i'm not going to say them <laughs> but yeah how are we how do y'all think we're we're looking as a local church or a global church on that issue well not too good um mm-hmm. as you were kind of noting we we observe today what paul prophesied about in the scripture a uh, great falling away where so many people are drifting and swimming really towards error and false teaching. And, you know, there's only, there's only a few ways to, to correct that. You've, you got to first call it out. You got to call out false doctrine and false teachers, but you also have to know why it is false. Right. Knowing the word of God through and through, um, kind of like they say, you know, the only way to tell if a stick is crooked is to lay a straight one beside it. And that's the only way you can tell if false doctrine is false is, you know, when you compare it to what the Bible says. So, you know, as far as, um, you know, likeness to uh, the Ephesian church here, our culture might be similar to their culture, but our churches are unfortunately not so similar to, uh, you know, this church here as far as what Christ commends them for. Right. And we find uh, uh, examples of this even in the Old Testament, where um, in Israel specifically, um, Amos was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And he was given a vision um, of a plumb line. And a plumb line, if you don't know what it is uh, for those listening, it's it's basically uh, kind of like a level, but going mm-hmm. down and vertically instead of horizontally you're dropping the plumb line wait for it to settle and you can tell something is uh level uh, if something is right. straight using the plumb line mm-hmm. and amos writes uh writes this in his account of what the lord showed him in a vision he said in uh seven and verse uh 
in chapter 7, verse 7 of the book of Amos, he says, This is what he, being the Lord, showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, A plumb line. And then the Lord said, Behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I'll never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I'll rise against the house of Jeroboam, which was the uh, the northern kingdom's house with the sword. Mm-hmm. And we find uh, the situation that the Northern Kingdom had been in throughout this entire time was that they had no good leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had no godly leadership and all right. of their pro- uh, their supposed uh, priests and prophets where they were supposed to be in the Temple of Jerusalem had built their own place of worship in Samaria and it all went downhill from there because of what Jeroboam, the first king, had done. And throughout the entirety of uh, the nation of Ephraim, uh, what they had done uh, throughout their history, they were godless. Mm-hmm. They didn't worship um, Yahweh as they had been commanded. They were the first ones uh, beyond the judges of the period of the judges, but like to completely and immediately reject the covenant that God had made with his people Israel. And they were only delivered uh, by any chance by the works of the Southern kingdom and Judah and their prophets, their teachers that they had in the Northern kingdom, they were all false. And Amos, he sent as a prophet, uh, a farmer from the Southern kingdom to just go on up to the Northern kingdom and say, Hey, I saw a plumb line and you have been measured and you are crooked and I'm not going to pass. And the Lord says, I'm not going to pass by you anymore. Uh, the high places of Isaac are going to be made desolate. The sanctuaries mm-hmm. of Israel are going to be made uh, laid waste. And it happened. The Syrian yeah. kingdom comes in and the entirety of the northern kingdom are sent out in a diaspora. And we don't know where they are today. Obviously, mm-hmm. we've got heritage uh, here, there, and everywhere. But right. we can't trace it. Well, now, now too, let's focus on another aspect. Not, not just, you know, uh, with false teachers but but t- think of the patient endurance too mm-hmm. that's that's being spoken of right here with Ephesus that that they were patiently enduring for mm-hmm. the namesake of Christ right. and you, you know th- we're talking about a group of people that didn't quite understand everything about the return of Christ but, you know Peter had to address that concerning the return of Christ many many thought that Christ was going to return in their lifetime. And when it was getting close to the end of their lifetime, they're like, Hey, what's up with this? Uh, and, and that's one thing too, that we're looking at here. They weren't, it doesn't seem like they were as worried about that understanding. They were just continuing on patiently enduring. And how, how can we look at that as individuals? I, I myself, uh, I like to think I'm patient and enduring, but I'm also very biased Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's me, you know, but, you know, when I look in the mirror, especially when we talked about the book of Jonah, how we look at the, at Jonah and sometimes snicker and think, well, at least I'm not Jonah, but Jonah is actually a mirror image of, of just how bad we can be even while following God, even, you know, being his mouthpiece here in the world, the, how, you know, those things can, can pop up in our lives. And so, on an individual level, 
Uh, I like to think I'm patiently enduring, but then I do see times where I'm not so patiently enduring. And I think that's important to, uh, to note, because if you can't note those times, then you're probably not patiently enduring to begin with. Uh, and you're just lying to yourself and covering that up. But other than an individual idea, what, what do we see with the local church and the global church on patiently enduring? Is, is that something that we see in the local and global church? Well, we could, we could definitely see it more, you know, like it's interesting. Jesus emphasizes here, not only that they endured patiently, but they have not grown weary. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they had that as well. They hadn't grown weary or tired or exhausted. Right. And, you know, we just, we just don't have a lot of that today. It's like we try our hand at certain evangelistic efforts as a local church. And Mm -hmm. if we don't see any fruit, we give up. Right. Or if we see, you know, godlessness in the culture, then we just throw in the towel and we give up. Yeah. We, we just have, this is raw, this is bad English, but we just have a bad give upness, <laughs> you give know, up. yeah. uh, marking the modern church today. And there's, you know, probably a thousand reasons for that. Right. But this is definitely the ideal to follow here. What yeah. the Ephesian church was doing is to do what Paul said in Galatians, uh-huh. and that is not grow weary of doing good. Right. An yeah. attitude of quitters. Right. Yeah. Another thing I noticed, too, in the local and global church today, especially as we read the book of Revelation right here, we're, we're talking about a lot of end times uh, stuff after, you know, the seven letters. But... Uh, this is an excuse I hear quite often when looking at the darkness and the evilness of the world. Well, it's it's supposed to be that way. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that that's what the scripture says is going to happen. And I almost see that as, as almost a cop out. Like, oh, because the Bible says the end is like that, that we just let this be the end and be done with it. No, we're supposed mm-hmm. to go out and... and fight for Christ, live for Christ. You know, as, as Paul says in Philippians one twenty one, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Mm-hmm. And so every, every breath that we have here in this world, we, we give to Christ and we continue to preach no matter if this is the end or the end comes in a thousand years. And I don't know, Phoenix, maybe, maybe you have another thought on this, but does it seem like that, that whole idea of well, it's supposed to be that way is is like a cop out, or am I wrong? I'd say it's definitely some sort. I think I think it might really really well be an excuse. Right. Um, there's yeah. there's no excuse for not for just sitting on your hands and getting mm-hmm. comfortable in the pew when there are lost people who are out there who are actively lost and dying right now. Right. I mean, uh, we as the church are called to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And he has told us he's with us always until the end of the age. There will be an end to this age, and the world is going to get progressively more wicked. Yeah, but we ought to be the light that outshines the darkness. Uh, I pre- uh, preached a message uh, not too long ago out of uh, uh, the book of John in chapter 3, where and talks about how Christ is, you know, he, uh, well, how Christ is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, 
he says this that men love the this is the condemnation that men love darkness rather than mm-hmm. the light because their deeds were evil. But what happens when you walk into a room and you turn on the lights? The shadows they go into the corners. Yeah. And right. if the church is going to be a bright light, we're uh, we just finished up VBS at our church, and uh, our song leader had led our uh, preschoolers with you know the. Uh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And uh, where, you know, you hide it under a basket. Oh, no. And they take their hands off their flashlights yeah, and they right, wave them right. around. We uh, we as the church can't put our hands over those flashlights, but we need to let our light shine before others. As uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 uh, about how uh, we as the church are like shine like stars among a fault, uh, among and are shown faultless among a crooked and perverse generation. If we as the church are supposed to be that light, we need to not hide the light. Right. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Well, I think this has been a very interesting start to the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I want to just go ahead and and say thank you to all of those that have joined us for this episode on the Faith 168 podcast. I certainly have a great time recording these episodes. I know that Brother Brandon does as well. And and Brother Phoenix, it was so good to have you on uh, this episode today. And we look forward to to you being here again and, and talking with us more on scripture on another episode eventually. So Thank you for that, uh, and I thank just you thank for having me on. Yeah, uh, no problem. We'll do it again sometime. Maybe I don't know. We'll think about it. We'll, we'll <laughs> be my boss. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, the, you're giving me a lot of authority right there. Right. <laughs> no. no. Yeah. Well, you're an angel, so. <laughs> right. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I enjoyed this episode, guys, and I think uh, we'll just end it the best way possible with a word of prayer. So, Brother Phoenix, uh, would you? dismiss us in prayer. Yeah, of course. Father God, thank you so much for this time that you've given us to discuss uh, your word and this letter that was written to this church in Ephesus that uh, you had things to say to them and by extension to us uh, and to build us up and uh, ultimately to correct us we where we have faults. And Lord, I pray for all those who have uh, listened that um, we, uh, as uh, <laughs> those who are listening to your word, that you would keep us in line with your word and correct us wherever we are wrong. And Lord, um, for all situations in life and uh, for everything that you do, I pray that your will be done in all of our needs. And Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Faith 168 Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review on whatever streaming platform you are using. If you have a prayer request or have a topic that you would like us to cover, message us on the Faith 168 Podcast Facebook page, and we will see you in 168 hours.